the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Patriot Mobile. Carry the message. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area, and welcome to the show. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting from my office in San Jose near the Westgate Shopping Center. For those of you who are not sure where that is, uh, that's uh, in San Jose near the Saratoga border at the intersection of Lawrence Expressway and Saratoga Avenue. I've been here several years now. Don't know how much longer um, I will be at this location because rumor has it that eventually the whole corner of uh, buildings here is going to be sold and probably torn down because they're they're not ready for prime time today. Anyway, um, just, uh, just kind of touch bases with you. Um, I don't know those of you out there who suffer from allergies. I know I do. And after this recent uh, major rain that we've had the last few days, now that it's kind of stopped for a while, all of the flowering vegetation out there is throwing out spores and pollen and everything else. And, of course, that always affects me when that happens. So for those of you who are fellow, fellow allergy sufferers, I feel your pain. <clears throat> hopefully you feel my pain. And hopefully I won't do too much sneezing during the show today because I know that can be hard on the ears when you're listening on the radio. If you'd like to give me a call today because you have a question that you'd like to uh, have me answer on the air. It's 800-516-1220. You can also email me at radio at lawbob.com. That's L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. want to let you all know that I do have my seminars again coming back tomorrow morning, my Living Trust seminar starting at 9, and my uh, my Retirement Plan Trust seminar Starting at about 11 o'clock, you can go to lawbob.com and follow the links to register for the seminar, one or both of them. I know there is still some space left in both of them. Or you could go to eventbrite.com and search for Living Trust Seminar for uh, tomorrow's uh, date, the 19th of January. Or search for Retirement Plan Trust Seminar on the same date. You'd be able to uh, you'd be able to register for them that way as well. Now, for the last several months, as I've been doing this show, one of the things that I have been sharing from time to time uh, on a regular basis are questions that come up from around the state of California that are actually posted 
on a website directed at attorneys such as myself. And I have found that sometimes they're pretty ordinary questions, at least ordinary to me, but I know that it's probably something you have not heard of yet. And other times they're a little more complicated situations that I think would be valuable to help educate you, my listening audience, on some of the issues that can come up in estate planning that you may not even be aware are issues, uh, but when you hear about it, you may go, oh my gosh, that's my situation or my friend's situation or that's what my brother went through when his uh, when his father-in-law passed away, whatever it happens to be. So I'm going to keep bringing that information to you um, going forward, and I hope that uh, you're deriving value from it. Uh, please feel free to shoot me a quick email at radio at lawbob.com if you have a comment about the show or if you'd like to uh, give me uh, two thumbs up for doing a good job. I always love to hear from people. I love it when people come to my seminars because they heard the show, when people book consultations and come in and meet with me because they heard the show, or when they just send me an email or they call in because they have a question that they need to have answered. So here's a situation uh, coming out of Southern California in uh, Disney country, Anaheim. Someone said, I'm involved in a legal battle with my sibling who is trustee of my deceased parents' trust. Can I file a civil case against her? The situation is this person and, and I guess the sister um, are the only heirs to the deceased parents' trust. The sister is the trustee but she's not complying with the rules for a trustee and is giving trust property to her children without my knowledge. Can I file a civil suit after the trust issue that is litigation currently settled? Well, it sounds like they're already in litigation. I might bring it up or see if you can add it into the current litigation or um, maybe bring a separate action uh, to go after the property that's been given away and then maybe asking the court to consolidate the two actions. That's something that courts can do if they have more than one lawsuit involving the same people but maybe different issues. It's sometimes possible to put all of those cases together into one case so you don't have a bunch of different cases going at the same time with the same parties. Now here's someone says... Uh, I'm an heir to a living trust, and I've not received anything from the trustee. How do I get them to send me a copy of the trust? Parents died in May, and it's now January of the following year. No notice been given, no copy of the trust documents. I'll tell you, probate code section 16061.7, that specific, has a requirement that the trustee of a trust notify all of the beneficiaries of the trust uh, and also probably notify any heirs, direct heirs, children of the person who died, that the person has died and that a copy of the terms of the trust is available to anyone who's a beneficiary. So the failure to provide that puts a burden on the trustee that if anything goes wrong, if anything um happens there's no there's no running of time to bring in an action against that trustee who may foul up things in the future 
uh, for this person, I would say you want to get an attorney. You want to have the attorney write a demand letter to the trustee demanding a copy of the trust document referencing the particular code that has that requirement for the trustee to provide that and then barring that perhaps file an action in the court to have the trustee removed for a failure to act properly as the trustee of that trust. Now speaking of trustees and successor trustees here's someone who says An old friend of mine named me as the successor trustee of his trust, uh, but the name on the documents isn't my legal name. I'm guessing he probably put, like, you know, like the guy's nickname. And the last name is misspelled. Do I have to take action? I want no part of this. Well, it sounds like uh, if the friend is still alive, tell the friend, please change that. I don't want to be any part of this. If the old friend has passed away, and now people are coming to you saying, hey, take over, you can always tender uh, what we call a declination to serve as trustee. Someone can name you as a trustee in their estate plan, but that doesn't require you to act as the trustee just because somebody named you. You have no legal obligation to do that. You can always decline or refuse to serve And what that would do was then put it to the next person in order as successor trustee to take over. If there's no named successor trustee and the trust doesn't have any specific provisions permitting the appointment of a trustee without going to court, then they'll probably have to end up going to court to have a successor trustee take over. Now, we're coming up on the first break of the show today. Again, if you want to call, it's 800 516-1220, 800-516-1220. You can also email me at radio at lawbob.com. So I'll talk with you after the break with more situations from around the state of California. This is attorney Bob Bergman. See you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. If you're just joining the show, I am taking calls on the air, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. I'm going to continue on with, with more situations from around the state of California dealing with estate planning topics. I think you may find them uh, interesting. There's a lot of interesting ones that I reviewed before today. So let me jump right back in. This is a very serious one. When I read this, I went, oh, wow, someone is going to probably end up in major trouble, perhaps even criminal trouble. Here, the successor trustee of a trust transferred the house out of the trust into his name only, sold the house, and kept the money. And the question is, shouldn't the money have been put into a trust account? Apparently also falsified documents at the recorder's office as well. What can be be done now that the deed is done? Well, 
if the trustee transferred the house out of the trust into his name because the trust says he gets the house, that's one thing. But if he transferred the house out of the trust into his name and there's other beneficiaries who are supposed to share in that house or the proceeds from the sale, then what we have fits the definition of embezzlement or conversion. It's not only a civil offense, but it might very well be a a criminal offense as well because a trustee has fiduciary obligations under the law. That means the obligation to deal fairly with and look out for the interests of the beneficiaries of the trust, even over his or her own personal interests. And acting in that way, um, basically the trustee may have just stolen the inheritance from the beneficiaries of the trust. What could be done, first of all, is to immediately file a lawsuit against the trustee and put a, a lien on any property that is known to be owned by the trustee. If you know uh, that that would be a start, so if the trustee actually owns property, you know where they own property, you could put a lien against it. Um, what's called a, a Liz Pendens or a Notice of Pending Legal Action, uh, that would be a possibility. You could get an injunction against the person transferring funds Um, from bank accounts or things like that. There's a lot of things that could be done. But the main thing is you can't sit on your hands and kind of hope things get better. Uh, Chances are good that this person, if they did in fact steal the money from the trust by selling the property and keeping the proceeds, that's a bad actor and action needs to be taken quickly in order to preserve or protect rights. Now, here's someone talking about their niece. Their niece has been in a foster home for a year. And um, this, this person's asking, can I get guardianship for my niece if she's been in a foster home for a year? And her brother, and I have her brother already, uh, will the courts give her me to care for? I would say as long as you're doing a good job already with the brother, and you don't have a, a criminal background or things like that that would come up when they do a background search, I would say go for it. If you want to care for your niece because <clears throat> you're already caring for her brother, your nephew, I think you have a real good shot at that of being named as the guardian for the niece as well. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> Excuse me. Allergies. It doesn't matter that she has been in a foster care system for a year. In fact, They'd probably be happy to have her no longer be in the foster care system if she can be with an adult relative who wants to take care of her and raise her. In general, that's going to be always better for a child to be raised by a responsible adult relative who cares about the child's well-being and health, care, and upbringing. Now, here's (laughs) here's one that comes up now and then in my practice. Now, It has to do with naming a living trust. Now, my usual practice is to name a living trust and in the name, use the name or last name or names of the people I'm doing the trust for. If if it's John and Jane Smith, it's typically the Smith Living Trust. Sometimes the John Smith and Jane Smith 
living trust, which is very wordy, and I try and stay away from that. If they, if the couple has different last names, then sometimes I do a hyphenated, like Smith-Jones Living Trust, for example. But here someone says, um, they were told, putting together my trust, I've been told I should use my name. Well, that's the usual practice. I was planning on making something up or using gibberish or a series of digits as the name, thinking it would make the trust more private. Can I do that? Well, let's examine that. Let's unwrap that a bit. <clears throat> yes, you don't have to name the trust after yourself or your family. Uh, you you can't name it like the Mickey Mouse Trust because Mickey Mouse is a, a trademark. But um, I've had a few people name it after the street they lived in or an old family homestead. Um, but using gibberish or a series of digits... I don't know that that's such a good idea. The main problem that you'd have if you name it after something other than your own name is dealing with financial institutions, banks and brokerages and things like that. As if you walk in and say, I want to put this account in the Flamajama Trust that I just set up, they'll go, well, okay, is your last name Flamajama? No, it's Smith. All right, so... The Flamajama Trust, you're going to be running into lots of issues where financial institutions are going to want to dig deeper and deeper into how is it that you're the trustee of this trust? Is it a revocable trust? It sounds like it's an irrevocable trust because it doesn't have your name, all kinds of things like that. As far as privacy, if you own real estate in California or anywhere for that matter, and you put that real estate into the Flamajama Trust, well, the record is still going to show that the property came from you and it went into the Flamajama Trust. So as far as privacy goes, someone can trace it right in there and they know where it came from. Uh, bank accounts and brokerage accounts are a different, a different thing altogether. The The people who own those accounts, that's not listed anywhere. But real property is listed and transferring it into a trust with a clever name or an obscure name or digits or gibberish is not really going to give you privacy as to whether or not you have a trust. So it depends what kind of privacy you're looking for here. If you just don't want people to know that you have a trust, well, don't own, don't put real estate in the trust. Put everything else in the trust, but then that kind of defeats the purpose of having a trust, which is to avoid conservatorship and probate and make for the orderly transfer of your property to the people you want it to go to when you pass away. Well, we're coming up on the the midpoint of the show today. And um, when we come back after the break, I'm going to continue on with more situations around the state. Uh, feel free to give me a call. If you'd like to be on the air, 800-516-1220. But I'll talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Well, I have 
managed to avoid a big sneezing fit during the break, and I think I'm set for the rest of the show. So those of you allergy sufferers out there like me, uh, let's hope we make it through the next few days. Of course, if it starts raining again, then we might get a little bit of a reprieve from all the sneezing. Now, let's see, going on here. Here's a question um, I'm sure that if you have a living trust, you've probably thought this yourself at some point. Um, I have a living trust, and I want to add a few things to it. Can I just write it down on paper and have it notarized? Will that be legal? Well, let's address that. Um, You can write anything down on a piece of paper and have it notarized. A notary doesn't care. You could hand the notary a napkin that has just a word on it and sign that napkin, and a notary could notarize the napkin. So notarization doesn't really mean much of anything unless you have a trust that requires changes to the trust or modifications or amendments be done in writing and notarized. In fact, a revocable trust uh, trust of any kind in California does not have a requirement that it be notarized at all. But writing some things down on paper and having it notarized, that will be legal. The bigger question is not is it legal. The bigger question is, is it a good idea? And I would say unequivocally not a good idea at all. And the reason is this. <clears throat> if you don't know how trusts work and how they're put together and how the words are chosen that are in a trust. If you go and add things to it, you could inadvertently actually break the trust or break part of the trust because of things you said that maybe are contrary to other things in the trust that need to be there in order to make it work properly. Um, I'll I'll share one, one example from my own experience A number of years ago, a uh, family got together and they put together a trust uh, using an online service, which I will not identify, but there's a number of them. And uh, they downloaded all the paperwork for mom and dad. Uh, Dad was very, very ill and wasn't expected to live very long. And they downloaded the paperwork, but then uh, one of the children, who was an attorney, but not in California and not an estate planning attorney, decided to modify some of the language of the trust. So this is kind of functionally the same as writing it down on paper and having it notarized. In the process, when the father died literally the next day after things had been signed, and then they came to me to administer the trust, I looked at it and I said, there's no way to administer this trust because of this. Where did this language come from? This doesn't look like anything that I've ever seen before. And the daughter, who was the attorney, said, well, I put that in there. And uh, to make a long story short, she had put that everything that was owned by the mother and father was to go into an irrevocable trust for the benefit of the surviving Um, spouse, the mother. And I explained she can't put her share of the property into an irrevocable trust for her benefit through this trust. Only your father's half could go in there. So there is now an obvious or what we call a patent ambiguity in the trust, which means it can't be administered. 
Now, there's a happy ending. The family hired me to redo the trust the way it was supposed to be and then to go to court to have the redone trust accepted by the court as one that was modified by the surviving spouse and all the children collectively uh, under a section of the probate code that permits that. But the family ended up paying me to do the plan in the first place and to go to court to have the plan uh, approved by the court. I shouldn't say approved. The changes actually um, um, confirmed by the court in a court order. So the family actually ended up paying me twice for what they could have had uh, paid me once and had it done correctly the first time. So I don't recommend that anyone use self-help or do it yourself when doing any estate planning, and especially not when fiddling with something that has already been done if you want to make changes to it. Go to a qualified attorney who can make the changes for you. You may find in the process that that there are other changes that should be considered, um, not just the ones you want to make. Maybe there's things that should be redone, better planning approaches, better things, maybe asset protection for your heirs, things like that. Now here, here this person said, my sister had financial power of attorney for my dad and she consolidated a number of my dad's accounts before he died. That was fine. But now she's giving me conflicting information. We were to share equally in the estate, so I'd like an honest accounting. So this is California. What records should I be given or do I just have to take a word about what was there? Well, you absolutely don't have to take her take her word if this is going through probate she's required to list all accounts owned by the father and their values their date of death values and then account for what happens to those monies going forward um, that has to be filed with the court um, and in order to actually ultimately permit the distribution of the property to this person and their sister if there was a trust involved then the California law requires an accounting to be provided to all beneficiaries of the trust. And that's a detailed accounting, not just like, oh, here's some account statements. You know, here's some bank statements. No, uh, what was there, what's gone out, what's come in, all those kinds of things. So you don't have to take someone's word for it. If you're a beneficiary or an heir, you're entitled to an accounting under the, the probate law here in California. Now here, here's another, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this trust I'm about to talk about either was a do-it-yourself trust or it was prepared by an attorney who just does trusts but is not really an estate planning attorney because of the fundamental flaw in uh, the situation I'm about to relate to you. This person said, Um, My uncle recently passed. He had a trust, left everything to his niece and nephew, except his 401k plan was left to his girlfriend of 15 years, living together for the last five. So a long-term relationship, he left his 401k. He stated in his trust, my girlfriend can live at the house for up to five years. That's all that was said. No details of any kind. The house now belongs to the niece and nephew because it was left to them. But the question is, it says she can live at the house. Does that mean she gets to live rent-free? Who pays for the utilities? 
who pays for property taxes and insurance? Presumably the niece and nephew would. But um, what if this person can't afford to live there at all? What is to be done? This is a classic example of a poorly drafted trust. Saying that someone can live at a house for up to five years, my question would be, okay, who pays for those ongoing expenses? Who pays for the utilities? Who pays for taxes and insurance while living in the house? Because the house is not owned by this person. Uh, do they have the right to live there? Are they supposed to pay rent? If they're not supposed to pay rent, how about maintenance? What if the water heater goes out? What if the stove goes out? Are they a tenant or do they have what we call a life estate? Um, there's all kinds of questions here. This kind of thing, saying that someone can live in a property after I've died, that needs to be spelled out in great detail. And all those questions really need to be addressed in the trust so that there's no question but that um, that the person has a right to stay there and under what conditions. There should be provisions that say what happens if the person decides to move at, after two years. Does that mean they've now given up the right to come back? What if they volun- they're involuntarily leave? They're arrested and they go to jail. Does that mean that they have the right to come back a year later after they get out of county? Um, another thing, what if the person just disappears? You have no idea where they're at. Uh, do the niece and nephew have to just wait around and, you know, for years hoping the person comes back? Or can they establish that the person's disappeared? Nobody knows where they're at. And because of that, we can now take possession of the property and it's now ours and there's no right to live there anymore. All kinds of issues come up in there. Now, here's one last quick one before the before the break. When a state's in probate, is it liable to keep current on homeowners association and utility bills? So this person is a tenant in a townhouse that's in probate. The owner died without a will. It's going through probate, and there's an administrator. I was under the impression it was the estate's responsibility to keep current on HOA dues and utility bills, but the power's been shut up, uh, shut off. Are they responsible to keep current on the bill? Well, if according to the rental agreement, the landlord is to provide for the utilities, then absolutely yes. For this person, I would say to them, you may need to actually go to the power company and get the, the bill put into your name so that you can pay it and keep the lights on and then turn around. And, uh, and there are some self-help options as a tenant you can do if the landlord is falling short on their legal obligations. So we're coming up on the third break of the show today. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. We have one more segment when we come back after the break, and then we start the uh, three-day weekend. So until then, I'll talk with you after the break. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. See you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. This is Bob Bergman, 
you want to give me a call, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. It's the last segment of the show today, and I have a few more topics to cover here of interest. Uh, Here is uh, someone asking, why are my adult children who are beneficiaries on a trust not on the service list for mail and court dates? So if there's court dates involving a trust and someone's a beneficiary of the trust, they are probably someone that needs to be notified about that and get notice of hearings and things like that so they have an opportunity to appear if they want to either support a motion or they want to object or file a complaint of some kind. If a trustee is not including in the distribution list of court hearings people who are, in fact, beneficiaries of the trust, that's a problem, and that's the kind of thing that could probably get a trustee removed because they are not keeping the beneficiaries properly informed under the law. Now, here's someone said, uh, my father passed a couple of months ago and I completed an affidavit of death of trustee because he had a trust. Now, we actually, more proper thing to do is an affidavit of change of trustee with the reason being that the trustee had died. But then the person also did a grant deed, um, basically transferring the property then from dad's trust to me. I'm the only living next of kin. So presuming... That means that he is the only beneficiary of the trust. I want to sell his home. Do I need to contact the mortgage company to do this? The answer to that is absolutely no. Just go ahead, sell the property. Part of the sale will be that the title company, where you open the road to sell the property, they will notify the lender on the property and ask for a payoff on the loan At that point in time, the lender will find out the property is being sold. They don't really care if it was being sold by the trust, by the father, or sold by you as the new owner of the property. They're going to get paid one way or the other. So uh, you don't need to notify them ahead of time. In fact, if you're going to sell it right away, I probably wouldn't notify them at all because they may start foreclosure or something because you're not on the loan. And then that just further complicates things for you. So, no, just sell the property, the escrow, the title company will contact the lender and get a payoff so they can be paid off and the mortgage can be removed from the property so the new buyer can get the property free and clear um, with the exception of any new mortgage they've put on it themselves. Now, here is, I've never heard of something like this before, and it's a cautionary tale. We're loaning a friend $50,000. He's created a deed of trust to be placed on a residence that he owns free and clear. So far, so good. The deed of trust, by the way, secures repayment of a loan, typically a promissory note, so that if you don't pay on the note, the trustee in charge of the deed of trust can be directed by the person that, that you owe the money to to foreclose on the property. The deed states we're the beneficiary, but that the friend is both the trustor and the trustee. The the, uh, deed of trust has been notarized but not recorded. Should it be recorded? I would say absolutely not. 
let me explain the problem with the trustor, the one granting the deed of trust or granting the security interest in his property, with that person being the trustor and the trustee. The deal is if the beneficiary is not being paid, they can ask the trustee to foreclose on the property. But how can you ask the person who owes you the money to foreclose on his own property if he's the trustee? He's going to say, no, I won't do it because I'm not going to foreclose on my own property. The trustee should always be an independent third party. Uh, it could be a trust company. Uh, it could be a title company. Could could be the trustee. But you definitely would not, repeat, would not want to have the borrower be the trustee on his own deed of trust. It makes no sense at all. It's the fox guarding the hen house. Okay, does a trust made by a paralegal have any authority in court or only trust made by an attorney valid? Any trust made by anybody could have authority in court as long as it can be understood and it's clear what the person wants to have happen. The problem is um, you kind of get what you pay for and oftentimes things are prepared by people who really don't have the knowledge or expertise to prepare them. So the issue is not, will it be valid in court? The issue is, can it be interpreted by a court in order to come out with some kind of a result? Um, to me, that's always the issue, not, not is it legal, is it valid? The question is, is it going to accomplish what the person wanted to have accomplished? Well, coming up on the end of the show today, I just want to remind you that I have seminars tomorrow at my off- in my office, uh, Living Trust Seminar, Retirement Plan Trust Seminar, You can go to lawbob.com and follow the prompts to register for one or both of those seminars. Or you go to eventbrite.com and search for the Living Trust Seminar or Retirement Plan Trust Seminar uh, for January 19th. I hope you've enjoyed the show today. I know that I have. And I'm looking forward to a three-day weekend starting with the seminars, then spending some time with my wife and, and my daughters. So until next week... Have a great weekend. This is attorney Bob Bergman signing off for Plan Your Estate Radio. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.